WGHAM, Newport News, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, 1310, The Power. It's time for the Anderson Law Power Hour on 1310, The Power, with attorney Tim Anderson and host Mark Rollison. Yes, indeed, everyone, another great edition of the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310. Good morning, Hampton Roads. Good what morning. an introduction. Thank yeah. you, Mark, for that. <laughs> the audience is live. We're live. <laughs> Let's make it happen. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, Mark uh, Mark wakes up like around 3 in the morning because his energy <laughs> level is 12 o'clock energy for uh, my energy is at 9 o'clock energy. So. Thanks. Uh, all right, guys, here we go. We're going to have another edition of the Anderson Law Power Hour. I have asked some people to give me some recommendations of topics that they want to hear about. And so this week, we are going to cover some pretty uh, common areas of law that come into my, my firm. Uh, we're going to talk about defamation, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about evictions. Now, we may talk about some other things because this is a live call-in show. If you have legal questions, you can call 800 and that will ring right here to our uh, studios, and you'll be able to talk to me live, so we can talk about anything. doesn't have to be that. How about let's let them know? You have a chance to win Norfolk Tides tickets. Woo, that's Take great. Been to Harbor Park? Yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's a beautiful place, man. We wish the Tides very best this year. Yeah, yeah, so we have uh, some four-packs. Uh, May 7th is the game, and for those of you looking on Facebook Live, we're going to give these away throughout the show, so the first person to call 800-1000 is going to win these four packs to May 7th uh, Tides tickets. So that easy. All, all right. you got to do is just call in. Say, hey, I heard you. We're going to give you these tickets, and we will uh, leave those up front here at the beautiful studios here in uh, Virginia Beach right over by Topgolf, and you'll be able to come pick those up. So four pack free of charge. Just have to call in 800-1000. You don't even have to ask a question. You can just say, give me my tickets. All right. So those will be there. All right, so let's kind of jump into the fray, but before we do, I do have one interesting thing about the newspaper that I wanted to pass on. This is a Hampton Roads issue that I wanted to let everybody know about. Not dealing with defamation, not dealing with the eviction stuff that we're going to talk about in the show, but in Portsmouth, the Commonwealth attorney in Portsmouth has written a letter to the courts that says she's not going to prosecute any marijuana cases anymore in Portsmouth. Now, this kind of started in Norfolk where the Commonwealth attorney <clears throat> said that he was not going he was not going to prosecute Norfolk uh, pot cases and the judge judges out there have gotten a little frustrated with that and they are taking some positions to maybe compel people to still be prosecuted out there in, in Norfolk. But in Portsmouth, the Commonwealth attorney has said not only is she not going to prosecute the cases, but she's going to move to dismiss those cases. So if you are interested in that. That is something that is happening in Portsmouth. You will uh, probably find a very friendly judicial system to you in Portsmouth if you have marijuana. Now, keep in mind that doesn't mean marijuana is legal. It doesn't mean that you are allowed to even possess it. Uh, And in fact, if you possess more than a half of an ounce, you could be charged with a felony. And so the Commonwealth attorney is not talking about people that are possessing large quantities or distributing or selling or growing. But if you have simple possession of marijuana in Portsmouth, she has told the, the judges in Portsmouth, the, the top prosecutor in the city of Portsmouth has told the judges, I'm not prosecuting these cases and I'm going to move to dismiss every single one of them. So you should know that. All righty. So let's talk about defamation and ev- evictions. 
Now, those two things don't have much in common, so we're going to break the show into uh, 50-50 questions. Uh, For those of you listening on Facebook Live, if you have a question that you want to ask on Facebook Live, all you have to do is uh, type that right here on Facebook Live, and we will read those questions and answer them uh, as well. So, Also, don't forget we're giving away these Tides baseball tickets, so if you want them, just call 800-1000. That will ring you right here to the studio. All right, so defamation, what is it? A lot of people think that if somebody says something false against you, that that is defamation. So under the law, there are three different types of false statements that can be made against you. Uh, The first one is uh, defamation. Uh, Defamation is when somebody physically just verbally says something that's not true. So if I were to tell all of Hampton Roads that Mark is a four and a half foot uh, <laughs> jockey that rides horses in the Kentucky Derby, uh, that would be an untrue statement. So that would be a false statement. Now that a false statement in and of itself does not make it defamation. That's just a false statement. So if you don't know Mark, Mark is about seven and a half feet tall. He used <laughs> to play in the NBA nope. and now he's, uh, he's running this uh, show with me here. So, so saying a false statement about Mark uh, would be defamation. Now, it also or a false statement. Now, it also has to be a public statement. So, me saying that Mark is a, a jockey for the Kentucky Derby uh, on the radio—that is the two elements that were required to be a false statement and said publicly. Now, the third part of defamation is that it has to be with malicious intent to harm. Now, that's the that's the rub. And uh, if Mark were to file a lawsuit against me for saying he was a a a four-and-a-half-foot guy that ran in the Kentucky Derby, uh, he would have a hard time finding the third element, which is uh, intent to harm. So you have to have three elements for defamation. You have to have the false statement, it has to be made in a public setting, and it has to be made with the intent to harm. All right, so... If I say something mean or bad about about somebody else, but I just say it to my friend in a car, that in and of itself would not be defamation, even though I may have said a false statement and intended to hurt that person, it wasn't said in a public form. So you have to have all three to have a case. So in a situation involving defamation, that has to be just verbal, and it would have to be something that was said you know, on the air, uh, on a radio show, or on a television show, or it would have to be said maybe at a concert or where other people could hear it, more than just one person. All right, the the second part of that is uh, liable. So Mm -hmm. liable is the same thing, except that it's not verbal, it's written. Now, this is very common, especially in social media. And this is something where you could find yourself in quite a bit of trouble saying something about somebody on social media. So if I put on Facebook that Johnny stole my car, and that was untrue, then not only have I made a false statement, I've done it in a public forum where other people can see it, and I've done it with the intention of harming Johnny. Now, I think what we see mostly in defamation cases now are situations involving written 
false statements because so many people turn to online forums to talk about each other or talk about other people that that's where you're going to see the most common of these types of things uh, be brought. Most people do not have a radio show. Most people do not have a television show. So the majority of people don't have the, the forum to be able to have defamation issues where they can actually speak to a large audience or a large group of people. But everybody has Facebook. Everybody has Twitter. Everybody has some, some kind of social media. And if you put something on social media that is false, you may find that you are committing a, uh, an actionable case against you called liable. So again, the three elements of defamation or liable are you have to have a false statement made. Again, the only difference is, is that in defamation it has to be oral and in liable it has to be written. Other than that, the other two are it has to be uh, in a public form and it has to be with the intent to harm. Now, if I email my friend and I say something untrue about somebody else in an email, that in and of itself is not a public form. That is a communication between two people, and that in many cases is not a situation that would involve libel. Now, there are circum cir certain circumstances where uh, a single communication between one person and another could be deemed libel, and that could certainly be in a situation involving employment. So if I have uh, a former employee uh, applies for a job and their, their new potential employer emails me and says, hey, what do you think about Jane? Was she, you know, she a good employee when she worked for you? And I wrote back and I said, you know, Jane stole money from me and, you know, we had to fire her because she embezzled all of this money and was just a terrible human being. And based on that email, Jane doesn't get the job, and if Jane finds out that you know, that was said, she might be able to sue me if, if the things that I said about Jane were untrue. Now, the, the defense to defamation and the defense to libel is that the statements that you made were true. So you're not prohibited from saying true things about other people. You are just prohibited about saying untrue things about other people. Now, you are also entitled to give your opinion about something or someone or someone's services. Whether your opinion is correct or accurate or reasonable, it is just your opinion. Now, why that matters is you will see people on reviews giving opinions about certain businesses. And a business can sue you for an online review if you make a false statement against them, just like an individual can. So if I put a review about a local car dealership up and say, they stole my money, I gave them a deposit, and they stole my money and won't give me my money back, and that is an untrue statement, then that car dealership could, uh, could sue me for... Uh, for the false statement under the libel standard for giving an online review that's, that's not right. However, if I, if I have a situation where I give a car dealership money and they're refusing to give me the money back because th they believe that they're contractually correct and I believe they're not contractually correct, 
I can certainly put a review online that says, I've done business with this car dealership, and in my opinion, I would not recommend anybody do business with them because they have a bad business. All right, you could say that. That would be your opinion. And if it's qualified as in my opinion, then that is just that. That is just your opinion. And you are not making a specific factual statement. So I have represented a lot of people that have given bad reviews to restaurants and to companies and have been threatened by those companies with litigation for defamation and libel. And so we want to be careful about what we post online because if we say something that's untrue or could at least arguably be untrue, you could find yourself in court. But if you post something that would be your opinion, then that would be a defensible position because this is just how you feel about it, not necessarily what is accurate. All right. So you have liable and uh, liable and defamation, and then we have slander, and slander is kind of a catch-all for anything else that would not be either written or oral, would be something uh, else that would be false against somebody in some other way. But and, and slander has the same kind of a standard. So pretty much the elements of these issues are you have to have a false statement, it has to be made in a public form, and it has to be with intent to injure. All right. So let's say you have all of that, and we are now in a position of you're, you know, you've got all of those elements made. And now we're looking at, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? All right. So there we go. A little Facebook Live bounced off there. I had to fix that. So I have somebody who's made a false statement, and that was with the intent to harm, and it was made in a public forum. I'm ready to sue. Okay, fine. You may be. So you might be able to make all of your case in front of a court. But what you have to prove at court is not only the things that we've talked about, which are the false statements and the uh, intent to harm and, uh, and in a public forum, but now you have to prove damages. Mm, that's what I was going to think, yeah, ask rather. Yep. So, yeah. so damages, this is the big, big issue. And this is really the reason why almost nobody can make these kinds of claims. Because you have successfully make these kinds of claims, because you have to be able to prove an economic loss as a result of that statement. Now, if you have a business and somebody puts a false review online about your business, you might be able to more easily attribute an economic loss as a result of that of that negative review. You might be able to say, hey, and in April, I did $20,000 of business, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in May, I only did $15,000 in business. And there's no difference at all except this one false review. And because of this false review, my business uh, numbers have gone down. And so maybe you can get that type of case if you're a business. But if you're a person, when we're talking about economic damages in a defamation case, that is a big issue and a big problem. You have to prove that you suffered a economic loss because of that false statement. So going back to the first example, if I said Mark is a jockey in the Kentucky Derby and that was false and I intended to hurt Mark's reputation and I intended all of that to happen, Mark would still have to be able to prove that because of that false statement, 
he suffered a loss of economic value to his life. So he would have to prove that his employer fired him because of that. Or he would have to prove that he couldn't get a contract because of a false statement that was made. Or he would have to prove something in, the, in, the, in that type of realm. And honestly, that is an extremely difficult standard for any average Joe Blow person to, uh, to, to uh, uncover. You just can't make that type of a case unless you are a movie star or some type of a high politician. And, and so you might have a situation where somebody says something false about you on Facebook and it hurts your feelings and, and maybe, you know, maybe you lost a friend or two because of it or, you know, so, you know, you get teased or something like that. But you don't have the economic standard. And if you don't have the economic standard, when you make your case to the court, he can agree with you 100%. Yeah, you've done everything right here, but I can't give you any money because you don't have any damages. And that's the big thing. And so we have to be super careful when we are talking about defamation cases uh, to the average person because you have to get a situation where you have uh, provable economic damages. So let's turn to the Virginia Lawyers Weekly today because this point is highlighted in something that's happening in Virginia. So uh, many of, if you're a political guru kind of like I am, there's a congressman in California, and believe it or not, Facebook, there is a such thing as a Republican congressman in California. I know it's, <laughs> it's hard to believe, but there is a, there's this Republican congressman in California. His name is uh, uh, Devin Nunes, and he uh, is suing a company in Virginia, out in Albemarle, out in the, out in the west, uh, western part of the state, for $150 million for defamation. And the way that the, uh, he's suing a media company for basically, um, uh, a newspaper company, for basically taking a story that was being published in California and spreading it uh, in their newspaper in Virginia. And so basically, Nunez's claim is, is that uh, this false story that was happening out in California, and everybody knew it was false, was just being spread as fake news in this Virginia paper, and because of that, uh, Nunez, is, um, it, it, Nunez is filing this suit for character assassination. And this is a pretty big story. So here's, uh, here's, here's basically the claim. Uh, in 2018, a story linked the congressman uh, to a yacht where prostitution allegedly took place. And uh, essentially, the report detailed a situation where this, you know, the congressman was on this yacht. There was some type of, um, you know, it was basically this, this scandalous episode, and he was with a prostitute and all of that. Totally false. 100% false story. Nobody, nobody can corroborate the story, but it was uh, published in a local newspaper in California called the Fresno Bee. And it was sent out as propaganda during uh, an election, during uh, the most recent congressional election cycle. Now, it's, it was false, and at the time, everybody knew it was false, but then this newspaper out here in Virginia uh, published it. And so Nunez is saying, well, you know, you knew this was a false statement. You were spreading fake news, as, as uh, President Trump would call things, fake news, fake news. 
And this was, this was a good indication of fake news. Uh, and you were spreading it as it was actual news. So this newspaper out here was using, the, uh, using the, their platform as a legitimate news source to basically spread false propaganda. So that's everything that you need to make a defamation case. And uh, Congressman Nunes ha has a very high profile. And he can actually show that he, had, he has losses mm -hmm. as a result of that. Uh, he can show that, you know, you, you say that I was with a prostitute on a, on a boat, uh, then that is, um, you know, that could impact his economic situation. Now, Nunez has sued a lot of people, including Twitter and uh, certain users for hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, so he is being super aggressive using the defamation the defamation, the defamation powers, and he's suing people across the country uh, who are, uh, in his mind, uh, unjustly uh, attacking him. If somebody says something like that about the average person that you were on a yacht with a prostitute, you're going to have a harder time making a $150 million lawsuit because you're not going to be able to prove you had super economic uh, losses. You may not be able to prove you had any losses as a result with that. So this is a very good example of to make a real defamation ca case, you have to ha be somebody who has a lot of money. Um, so uh, that is something to think about when you're, when you're thinking about defamation. All right, let me go back to this. We're giving away Tides tickets four-pack. All if, right, all right, all right. If anybody is in, interest, uh, interested in getting these four-packs, they are free. All you yep. have to do is call 800-1000. And when the phone rings, just say, give me the tickets, and we will put your name on them, and you can pick them up here at the uh, studio. These are May 7th tickets against the Pawtucket Red Sox. So two Tuesdays from now, so you can plan two, in advance. Two Tuesdays from now. May 7th. 6, 6.30 game. It'll be in May. It will be warm. It'll be a beautiful night. And these yeah. are free, uh, our gift to you for uh, being good listeners. So if you want them, just call the number 800-1000. We have a couple of these to give away if you want to, uh, to do that. So 800-1000 if you want to also talk to me about uh, issues that we've talked about so far. I tell you, my brain is going 1,000 miles a minute when you talk about defamation and what we may think of it from a consumer perspective. Uh, somebody put somebody's uh, baby daddy on blast, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's a, a horrible thing to do for anyone in that situation, uh, particularly I may guess it may be in a situation of a divorce. But uh, the dad would have to prove that as a result of these false statements by my former or by my uh, girlfriend or whomever, that I've lost job, that I wasn't in line for a promotion, and that uh, now I'm, people are talking about me in the street. He has to prove those things and that he suffered Damages as a result of that. Am I following you? That's right. All right. That's right. Like, and there's also a website called Deadbeat Dads. Oh my! <laughs> and uh, you can, you know, if your if your father, if the father of your children aren't paying child support, you can post their picture. Oh boy! Right Ooh. online and uh, <laughs> DeadbeatDads.com, I think, is the website. And so, yeah, if you do that and that's not a true statement, then he might be able to sue you for that because you know maybe his employer sees that and they don't want to have you know, some, some deadbeat dad working for them. And they would have to be able to, you know, they may fire him for that. Uh, a good example I had on that is I had a guy one time charged with rape. Mm. Uh, he mm. was, it was date rape, not like jumping out of the bushes rape, but date rape of a girlfriend. And uh, she charged him with, uh, with date rape. And uh, he got arrested, went to jail. Ooh. And while he was in jail, he lost his job. 
And when he came out of, you know, out of jail a couple weeks later, uh, the case ended up getting dismissed because it was uh, not a, a, tr a, a legitimate case. But when he came out of, the, out of jail, uh, he lost his job. And so it took him a while to get a new job, and he lost money as a result of that. He lost thousands and thousands of dollars of lost wages because he lost his job between the time that he got arrested and the time that he gained new employment. And so that was a case where he had real economic loss because it was absolutely attributed to the false statement of getting him charged with something that wasn't true. Uh, he was able to, to uh, tie in that to the, uh, to the case and was able to prove economic damages in that case. Yeah. So. Businesses, too, which we hear, I won't name anyone in particular, any uh, review site, but you know, consumers have a little bit more leverage today, in a way of speaking, with social media and the Internet by putting businesses on blast who don't necessarily serve their every want and every desire. You know, you've got some consumers who are just malicious. That's a premise. That's a basis for which the business has to prove or that uh, the case needs to be brought, uh, established, right? Yep. And uh, it's like almost crazy. I, I see some horrible, horrible things. And I know some of these business owners aren't out there. Uh, the particular barbershop, uh, all types of businesses that I've been to, and just as being a good consumer, you check out some new businesses. And I said, that can't be the case. I went to one particular restaurant, I'll say just in Hampton, and one individual made a, put them on blast. And it was a horrible review. And I know the people said, are you serious, man? This is not the place that I go to. Come on. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable what people Whoa, will say online. Whoa, kid you not. Makes uh, you angry. It, it, the, the, the more anonymous the, the forum is, the crazier the comments get. You know, just, yeah. re just read any news article. I mean, you could read a... Uh, an article about a, a Democrat fireman uh, who saved a lady from a burning building. It, you know, the best story that you could possibly write. And because the guy's a Democrat, there will be oh, tremendous boy, yeah, no. comments about, <laughs> you know, uh, about how, how bad Hillary Clinton was or how bad Nancy <laughs> Pelosi was. It, it's unbelievable what people write on, you know, on stuff. And so, yeah, if you are, a, if you, you know, so this is kind of a two-way street. I'm talking about how you could sue somebody for defamation, but also if you're a business, how can you protect yourself? If, if, right, if, there you go. Yeah. if, if somebody does make, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a competitor, you know, maybe it's somebody who's right, just, you know, right, trying right. to bring your business down and making false statements against your business to bring your business down. Uh, and maybe those reviews are even anonymous. And so on some of uh, our uh, lawyer websites, uh, reviews can be anonymous. And if somebody says something that's completely untrue, you know, you, you can't do, you can't, you can't really even identify who they are because they are, uh, they are anonymous reviews. And so uh, how do you respond to that? Could you hold the website or the social media provider liable? Well, you can, you not necessarily as a, as a medium, uh, they are generally not responsible. And Twitter has really good about that. They're like, hey, we're just a platform of free okay. speech. We're just a platform of free speech. Well, free speech is great so long as you can control it. Uh, and in a situation where, you know, as long as the Twitter or the Yelp or whoever the companies are aren't promoting people to write false reviews, they're probably not going to do it. But as a business owner, how do you generally respond to a negative review? You put something nice in response to it. Almost all of the companies uh, that have reviews, Google and Facebook and all of that, you put it, somebody puts a negative review up. You respond. When I see negative, when I, when I go, actually, believe it or not, when I look at a business and I'm thinking about doing business with them, I look at the negative reviews. That's the only thing I care about, all right? Uh, and so I want to see 
I don't care about the people who have had good experiences. I want to see what's happened to the people who have had bad experiences. And how has the company responded to, to them? You know, so if somebody, if I was hiring a plumber and, you know, there's 10 bad reviews and 50 good reviews, I mm-hmm. want to see what, what, what the bad things are. Yeah. You know, and, and, okay, so, you know, the plumber said he was going to come out and fix this guy's toilet and, you know, the, the plumber didn't show up for two days uh, and, you know, this guy didn't have a toilet for two days. That's the negative review. Well, what's the plumber's response? Well, the plumber could be like, you know, I'm really sorry it took us a yeah. little bit longer to get there. My, you know, uh, we, ha- we had very sick employees. We had some kind of problem, and we did the very best we could. You know, we strive to do the best, but, you know, we're not, we're all human. We're all, we're, nobody's perfect. If I saw something like that, I would be like, hey, these guys are, you know, yeah. things happen. Receptive, responsible. Responsive. Yeah. And, and, and caring about, yeah, I'm yeah. really sorry you had a bad experience. I wish we could make it better. Can't go back in time and fix this. But if we can ever do something in the future, please let us know. That's how you respond to those things, uh, you know, without, uh, and, and for a reasonable person, and I think I'm more on that category of reasonableness, that's how you can, as a business, respond to, to false statements. Now, I mean, if it's, if it's incessant and there's 50 people that have posted right, yeah, you know, yeah. false reviews and, and stuff like that, then you may have to be more aggressive. But if you have just an angry customer, an angry client, and they post something negative online, uh, how you respond to that is what a lot of people are looking for. And, and you might find that you suffer positive economic uh, results as a, as a result of a negative review. That's a good tip. Be positive about it. Be objective. Be factual. Apologize, maybe. But that's right. And I, good tip. Okay. I, I, heard, uh, I heard even on um, one of Max Radio's uh, commercials the other day, uh, one of the, uh, the, the restaurants that advertise here actually posted one of their bad reviews online, you know, to talk about how, how bad oh, their, their okay. hamburgers were. Uh, and they were laughing about it. And, you know, they were like, you know, we're, we're going to try to do better. I didn't realize our hamburgers are so bad. And so they took this negative review and they actually turned it into kind of a uh-huh. marketing tool of, hey, Smart, hey, we, we listen to our customers and they think our hamburgers were no good, so we're going to fix that. And uh, they turned that into a commercial. Brilliant kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that will make your business shine uh, in this world of anonymous reviews and cr- just crazy people ty- ty- typing things that are mm-hmm. false or nonsense or just outright hateful. You know, if you have a guy, if you went to a restaurant and you had a bad meal and you read some of the reviews, you would think that the bad meal killed the grandmother. <laughs> uh, it right. is, uh, it is unbelievable how yeah. how bad social uh, social media is. And you know, for lawyers, it's even worse because uh, if somebody posts a bad review about us, we can't go in and say, "Well, here's everything we really know about you, and here's everything about your case, and this is why you know All things right. happen." Yeah, yeah. And so, anyway. Finding positive ways to respond uh, as a business person will always uh, lead to uh, a better outcome of the situation. And you also may be able to rehabilitate uh, the customer and get them back into your fray. Because ultimately, as a business owner, we want people to come back and use us in the future. We've already spent the money to get them to our Mm -hmm. business. Why are we just going to cut them loose and let them go somewhere else? You want to retain those people for future services or future good sales. All right. All right, so we're at the halfway mark. No one seems to want these Tides baseball tickets. I can't believe it. Look, we're giving away four tickets to the May 7th um, uh, Tides versus uh, Pentucket Red Sox. All you got to do is call. You're, they're yours, 800 Yep. You, you call 800 and they are yours. We're here for 30 more minutes, so we will see 
uh, if anybody wants these tickets because uh, we have a few of them to give away. Facebook too, right? Facebook too. So I see you all listening. Uh, I see the people that are popping in and looking at the show. So if you know somebody who uh, wants these tickets, you can call in for them, get the tickets, and they will be yours. No questions asked. I'm not going to make you sign a contract future <laughs> legal services. <laughs> All right, so let's flip into the next topic uh, of the show, which is evictions. Uh, and not just evictions, but landlord-tenant issues. And these are common things that we deal with quite often in, uh, in the general practice of law, where either a landlord has a, a tenant that is not paying the rent and they need to get them out, or you have a situation where a tenant is in a bad relationship with a landlord who's not making repairs or something like that. So, so let's talk about it from both angles because as a lawyer, I represent both sides pretty much in every type of a case. I'll represent men in divorce cases. I'll represent women in divorce cases. I'll represent somebody who's charged with a protective order. I'll represent somebody who's uh, wanting to get a protective order. So I'll represent both sides, and I represent both sides in... Uh, landlord-tenant issues, so I, I know it both ways and, and understand the points both ways. So if you're a landlord and your tenant is not paying rent, there's some pretty uh, streamlined ways of getting the tenant out of the house. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about some changes uh, that are going to be happening under Virginia law, some pilot programs, but these pilot programs in Hampton Roads, at least, are only taking place in the city of Hampton. So other than the city of Hampton, what I'm about to say applies to all of the other cities in Hampton Roads. If you have a tenant that's not paying rent, or if you have a, an adult child that lives with you that you want out of your house, which for some reason that is the topic of conversation in our office. We've had at least five or six people call in just this week about this one question. I have this 35-year-old son, and he's got to go. How <laughs> do I get him out of the house? All right, so first thing you have to do is you have to give your tenant notice that they need to vacate. Now, if it's a situation involving unpaid rent, the way that you give them notice is you give them a letter called a five-day letter. And what that letter basically says is, is uh, yo, deadbeat tenant, you haven't paid my, the rent. You owe me this much money. If you don't pay it in five days, I'm going to evict you. Now, they don't have to say anything formal or anything more formal than that. It doesn't have to be in any kind of specific legal jargon or anything like that it just has to be a very short letter that says here's what you owe me you have five days to pay and what you owe me is rent late fees rent late fees rent late fees for whatever the months are all right you send that to them by certified mail return receipt requested and then after five days if they don't pay the rent then you have the right to file your eviction action now in virginia eviction actions are called unlawful detainers an unlawful detainer is just the name of the pleading. It, it doesn't mean anything more than that. It's just called an unlawful detainer. And you file that in the general district court in the city or county where you live. Now, I'm going to show you on Facebook uh, the important legal tool that you will need to fill out your unlawful detainer. And I'm holding it up right here. It's called an ink pen. All right. Okay. If yeah. you have one of these... <laughs> you can do an unlawful detainer without an attorney. All right, this is all you need. All right, now you need the lease, and you need the five-day letter, and you need an ink pen. You go to the clerk's office, and you ask him for an unlawful detainer. It's a fill-in-the-blank kind of a form. 
You put your name down, your address down. You put the tenant's name down, the tenant's address down. You tell them why you're suing them. There's a box, unpaid rent, something like that. And you put how much they owe you. And you sign it. And you hand it with your lease and your five-day letter to the uh, clerk. And then they will give you an additional form called a soldier sailor's affidavit, which basically says that uh, if the, whether or not the tenant is in the military or not. And that is it. You file it. They'll give you a court date. You show up three or four weeks later. You tell the judge, hey, these people still owe me the rent. If they show up, there's nothing they can say unless they're going to say they've paid the rent. And if they've paid the rent, then they'll bring in evidence and the judge will sort that out. But if they haven't paid the rent, there's no defense to this. Judge issues an order that says they've got to go. And then you can uh, take that to the sheriff's office. And within about two or three weeks after that court hearing, you'll be able to get the sheriff to come out to the house and remove them from your property if they're still there. Now, by removing, it's legit. I mean, the sheriff literally comes out with armed deputies and removes these people from from the property. Now, I'm not overstate this. It's not like they come in with guns blaring and kick the door down and things (laughs) like that. But usually what you do is is you have a locksmith that'll show up at the house, and the, the deputy is standing there, and you make entry to the house. And if they are still in the house, the deputy will physically push them out the door if they don't voluntarily leave. And if any of their stuff is still in the house, you are allowed to use movers and move it to the curb uh, for trash pickup. And they certainly can can get it off the curb if they have a truck or something like that, but you can literally take their things out of the house and put it on the curb for trash pickup. And uh, that is how it works uh, as a landlord. Now, the other way to get a tenant out of the house, maybe they're current, but maybe they're just really bad tenants. Maybe they are doing something illegal in your property. Maybe they're selling drugs out of your property, or maybe they're doing some, something that they're not supposed to be doing in the property. They're paying their rent, but they're doing something that would otherwise violate the lease. And so in that situation, you are allowed to evict them for breaching whatever the lease was. So if they're breaching a particular term of the lease, maybe your lease says that they're not supposed to have pets and they've got dogs there now. Or maybe your lease says they're not supposed to smoke in the property and they're in there smoking in the house. You would be able to evict them, not for breach of lease or breach of rent, but for breach of lease. And the and same form, just a different box. Instead of unpaid rent, they're putting that they are breaching their, their lease. You still have to give them a five-day notice to correct the situation and if they don't correct it, then you're allowed to file that. And that's, that's pretty much it. It's pretty easy as a landlord to evict somebody in Virginia. I mean, it does take a little bit of time. You know, the, but, but what's important at, from a landlord standpoint is, is once that person slips up, once they've missed their, their rent payment, then you have a situation where you need to immediately send them that five-day letter. So, you know, most people's rent is due on the 1st. Maybe they have until the 5th or the 10th to pay. On the day when it's that grace period is over, if you don't have your rent, you need to send them that letter that day. And then five days after that, you need to file the lawsuit to evict them. You don't give people any time to stay in your property. Too many landlords give time. They'll let, they'll let a tenant pay half month of rent or they'll let a tenant pay, you know, two thirds month of rent or something like that. You cannot give tenants time. We are an extremely hot real estate market. It will be 
not difficult for you to find another tenant to rent your property. So don't give them time because if you do, you'll find yourself uh, getting two or three months behind before you're asking for that relief. Mm -hmm. All right, got a Facebook question from Mac. All right. All right. So, all right. So, Mac's question. All right, Mac, I'm going to get into that in just a second. I'm going to hold that question just for a second. And we're going to talk about uh, the, te- the, the tenant representation that, that you're, uh, you're asking about. Let me just finish up my, uh, my landlord side of things. The final way you get somebody out as a landlord is if they are not supposed to be there or, or that you did allow them to be there, but you don't want them there anymore. All right, so this could be a situation where your adult child lives with you or maybe your girlfriend or boyfriend who is no longer your girlfriend or boyfriend has moved in and you want them out. So they are generally called tenants at sufferance, which basically means that they're allowed to live there until you say so. They don't have a lease. They're not paying rent. They're just living there, and it's time for them to go. Now, usually if you allow somebody to live with you, you, you need to give them uh, some type of time to get out. And most courts generally ask for about 30 days notice. So if you have a, uh, a girlfriend or boyfriend that you want out of your house and they've been living there for a period of time, what you do is you just give them a letter, again, by certified mail, and you say, hey, I need you out within 30 days. And if you're not out, I'm going to ask the court to remove you. Now, you're not asking for money. You're not asking for rent. You're not asking for any type of breach of a lease because there is no lease. You just allowed this person to live with you, but now it's time for them to go and and they aren't leaving. So you give them some notice that they've got to go. And when uh, when you give that notice and they don't go, then you file the same type of unlawful detainer action to get them out. And if they don't have a lease, they have no right to be there. And so when you get to court, you know, it could be a hard situation where, you know, you're kicking your kid out of your house or something like that, but you don't get, uh, they don't get to stay there if uh, they're not the owner of the property and they don't have a lease. So those are the three uh, common ways that you'll see people uh, deal with land, the landlord side of the equation. Now, the other side of the equation deals with uh, the question that Mac is asking here, and we're talking about tenant representation now. So so I may have been a little cold and a little mean there uh, against tenants, but now I'm going to be on their side. So with a tenant, you could find yourself in a variety of situations. Uh, the first one is your landlord is not fixing issues that are relatively important to your living in the property. You know, you you made a deal with your landlord that you know the appliances are going to work that the heat's going to work, that the air conditioner's going to work. And when those things break, your landlord's supposed to fix them. And if your landlord doesn't fix them, you know, now you're in a situation where your landlord is breaching their lease. And then what is your remedy? So a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to stop paying the rent because my landlord hasn't fixed the... Uh, the air conditioner unit, or as Max says, it's colder in my apartment than it is outside. Uh, you know, because mm-hmm. you know my landlord's uh, you know not fixing our heat, so I'm not going to pay rent. Well, you can't do that, believe it or not, under the law. That is not the appropriate remedy. But I am going to tell you how to fix that and how to get your landlord's attention. If you are in a situation where your landlord is not making reasonable repairs to your property, 
you can go down to the same general district court that your landlord would go to to evict you, and you can bring the uh, very important power, uh, legal power, that I'm going to give you right here, which is the ink pen, again, for Facebook. You can see that. This is all you need okay, as a tenant. You go down and you, uh, you bring your lease and you file something in the general district court called a tenant's assertion claim. And what a tenant's assertion claim is, is basically it's a complaint against your landlord that your landlord is not making the repairs that they're supposed to be making to your property. Now, it's not going to work if it's the, the front door uh, thing that closes your door is broken, okay? You're not going to be able to file something like this. Or if, you know, if one of the light bulbs uh, outside isn't working, you're not going to be able to file a tenant's assertion claim. This is for situations involving your heat, your air conditioning, your appliances, something major, all right? Or... You know, maybe there's mold under the house and they're not treating it. Or maybe there's an infestation of rodents or bugs or termites or something like that. And your landlord's not dealing with it. It's got to be something big to do this. So you file this tenant's assertion claim. And what you do is you start paying your rent monthly to the, uh, to the court instead of your landlord. So if your rent is $800 a month, you start paying your $800 a month rent to your land, to the court. Now, when your landlord doesn't get their rent, that's going to get their attention pretty quickly. But because you're paying your rent to the court, they can't evict you for that. So then what's going to happen is, is a judge is going to hear the case. It may take a month or two while you're paying your rent. And the judge is going to say, hey, landlord, you're not paying this um, you know, this air conditioning, you're not fixing this air conditioning, you're not fixing this heat, you're not fixing this guy's refrigerator. So the lease is done. They're out of the lease. They don't owe you a penny, and we're going to give them the, the money back that they've paid into the escrow, and they're going to be allowed to move with no penalty to you whatsoever. Wow. I mean, that's the judge's, yeah. judge's uh-huh. remedy. Now, the, the landlord could come in and say, what are you talking about, judge? We fixed the, we fixed the heat the same day, they're lying. They're not telling the truth. And if the judge, you know, finds that to be the, the fact, then the judge would say, okay, we're going to have this rent paid directly to the landlord and tenant, you're still in the lease. So whoever wins that case will determine where that rent goes and whether that lease stays in place. So if you have a bad landlord and you are in a bad lease and you need to get out of it because it is uh, uh, just a poor quality of living that did not exist when you took it, then you will uh, want to file that tenant's assertion claim. Now, if you rented a property and the property did not have air conditioning when you rented it, you cannot go in and file a tenant's assertion claim after the fact and say, hey, this property doesn't have air conditioning. All right, So you, you're taking the property as it is when you rent it, and then if it uh, falls behind after that fact, then that's when you can make those claims of tenant's assertion. All right, so these are, again, heat, air conditioning, mold, appliances, the roof is caving in because of a water leak, uh, you're, you're in a condo association and you're in the downstairs condo unit and your upstairs uh, neighbor's toilet leaked and the whole ceiling has crashed in and you know, there's a big gaping hole between you and your neighbor, something like that, and your landlord hasn't fixed it in a very reasonable period of time. 
These are the situations where you can, you can try to breach the lease by filing the tenant's assertion claim. So that is what you have to do. Now, when you file the tenant's assertion claim, you cannot be behind on your rent. So you cannot do this because you are behind in your rent. If your landlord files an unlawful detainer action against you because you are behind in your rent, you cannot respond by saying, well, I may be behind on my rent, but my landlord hasn't fixed the air conditioner in two months. All right, That does not work. You have to be current with your rent. And when you file the tenant's assertion claim, you have to be able to make your, your rent payments directly to the court on that same day. So that's how it works. All right. 800-1000. My friend, you're listening to the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310 with attorney Tim Anderson. Power 1310, of course, as you listen, is the best talk and timeless soul. We appreciate you listening in every weekday. Still got an opportunity to win that family four-pack of tickets to the Norfolk Tides, 800-1000. All you have to do is call. You just have to make the call. Remember that guy from years back? <laughs> Absolutely. Eight. <laughs> call me. Just call me. Just call. <laughs> uh, yeah, 800-1000. Look, I'm holding them right here. These Eight. are yours. <laughs> you call in, the little red light on our, our phone's going to blink, and you will get uh, these tickets for free. 800-1000, May 7th, 635 game. Tidewater Tides versus the uh, Pawtucket Red Sox. Yeah. And uh, I don't really know where they put you in, in Harbor Park, but... Uh, the whole place is beautiful. Yeah, there's not man. a bad seat in, Clean, in Harbor Park. Uh, down by the waters and nice. Usually the evenings are pretty cool. Oh, man, I, I love it. I'm a fan of Harbor Park. Kudos to them. And the Norfolk Tides wishing them the very best for this upcoming season. Again, Attorney Tim Anderson, the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310, Saturdays. 9 to 10 a.m. We're live here in the studio for your questions. 800-1000. 800-1000. And thanks for bringing that to our attention. We hear a lot of scuttlebutt and rumor in what, you know, Sally said she did with her lawyer, or with her uh, landlord, because he didn't fix the AC or something like that. But you've got to have yourself squared away. And the landlord has opportunities or legal strategies, too. So, don't just say because they didn't fix the door lash or uh, the lock or the window lock or something like that. You specifically stated, Attorney Anderson, heat, AC, appliances, and mold, as an example. All of those things have to be remedied. And mold is a pretty serious issue. And I know we have a lot of great facilities here in Hampton Roads, but I often hear that. And I've seen some news stories about mold in places like, yeah, you can't breathe. Yeah, it is unbelievable. Yeah. It, you know, you you know you have a mold problem when your children all of a sudden develop asthma out of yeah. nowhere. Very mysterious. You know, their you know their eyes kind of sink in, and you're yeah. constantly coughing and things like that. Mold is no joke. And uh, if you have a mold issue, uh, there are attorneys, not me, but there are attorneys out there that their entire practice is oh dealing with environmental issues that deal with mold. So okay. it's a big deal. And if you have a situation where you are in a moldy uh, property. I know some attorneys that do that. You can always call us, and I'll be happy to refer you uh, on to them. They, that is their practice. It is a big deal, and mm -hmm. you, know, you cannot mess with mold. Yeah. Uh, it gets in your clothes. It gets in your furniture. It gets, it, it's, it's gross. And you get so, sick. You, you can get, get literally sick. get sick. Yeah. That's right. But the good thing about mold is as soon as you get out of it, it almost those symptoms almost always go away. And so uh, it is one of those situations that uh, involve that. Uh, you'll have a little bit of recovery pretty quickly. All right. Another little interesting about Virginia law I wanted to bring to your attention. This is from the Virginia Lawyers Weekly. Uh, and then we're going to flip back into the tenant stuff. But uh, Governor McDonnell, uh, 
as we all know, was convicted for bribery. And uh, he took his case all the way to the Virginia uh, Supreme Court and then to the U.S. or not the Virginia Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court, in a unanimous decision, reversed his convictions and found him uh, not guilty. And the government did not prosecute him uh, after, after the fact. Well, uh, following that, uh, there have been some additional uh, people that have gone to jail for the exact same conduct. Mm. And so, mm. uh, so Governor McDonald's case that was uh, reversed in um, 2016 has uh, allowed some other people who have uh, asked people, congressmen, to uh, do favors for them, for their businesses. And so this one guy uh, asked a congressman to uh, recommend his business to the Army and to a Nigerian company. And this was a U.S. congressman, and he just asked this congressman to recommend it. And the government prosecuted this guy for uh, conspiracy to bribe a congressman, and he went to jail. Mm. And uh, mm. just recently, that case was vacated thanks to the mm. uh, Governor McDonald case because bribery requires the politician to be doing something in his official capacity. So if I'm the governor of Virginia and I'm at, and I'm at dinner with a businessman and I happen to say, hey, I know this other guy who has this service, you should give him a call, that's not, that's not a situation involving... Uh, a, an official government act. That's just a, a governor having dinner with somebody in a, in a private setting. Uh, so a kind of interesting little thing that the Governor McDonald case is, uh, is, is still alive and is still uh, making, making some progress, but Governor McDonald was found not guilty. Now, you know, we may have issues with him because of uh, the tunnels and things like that, but his bribery case was found not guilty and uh, that has resulted in uh, a host of people just published this week being released uh, as a result of that Supreme Court case. All right. All right. So back to the tenant stuff. We have a couple more minutes and I want to give you the, the, key, uh, the key components for tenant representation if you are sued with unlawful detainer. So if you are sued by, an, uh, by your landlord for not paying your rent, here is your defenses. The first one is you paid your rent. Okay, so obviously if you pay your rent and you go to court, that court will not be able to evict you. So if you can get that money paid prior to your court hearing, then you will have some time uh, to still live in the property and they cannot breach your lease. Even if you get two or three months behind, as long as you pay that rent before the court hearing and you may have some attorney's fees that you have to pay, then that will, the judge will not issue your removal under most circumstances. The second thing you have is, is if you are in a situation where a landlord is evicting you and you are unable to cure your rent before the court hearing, there is a bankruptcy option that you can file that can allow you to repay your rent over a period of time. Now, it's tricky and requires a little bit of, uh, a little bit of work and a little bit of understanding of how all of this works, but there is a possible Chapter 13 bankruptcy option for you to be able to repay the arrearages in the plan, uh, in a repayment plan to your landlord. Now, it's, it's not a, a long process, so essentially if you have a lease that is only good for, you know, expires in eight or nine months from now and you are two or three months behind, the time to repay this may only be, you know, eight or nine months. 
but you do have a bankruptcy option to try to get back on track with your landlord. And as I discussed in Hampton, for those lucky enough to live in Hampton on this issue, there will be a trial pilot program that the court will have that will allow tenants to make their rent arrears to the court through a court-ordered repayment plan through the general district court. Now, this is only in Hampton. This is a pilot program, and that, I believe, is going to start in July. So if this is happening to you after July of 2019, check with the clerk of court and see if that see what those uh, options and remedies are. I don't know a lot about it because it hasn't started yet. Uh, I don't know what the procedures are going to be, but those are going to be options in July. The final option uh, as a tenant, if you are behind on your rent and you can't make uh, the, the rent payments and this is just how it's going to be, you want to show up at court. The reason that you want to show up at court is if even though you're going to lose, by showing up at court, it will give you about 10 more days in the property than you would otherwise have. Now, if you don't show up at court, the judge can tell the the landlord that he can immediately evict you. So even if you show up and you're like, Judge, yeah, I owe the money. There's no way I can fix it. You will still get 10 more days in the property than you would otherwise have to give you time to be able to move out. If you don't show up, they will give you, uh, they will immediately allow the landlord to ask the sheriff to come out and evict you. And so buy yourself that little bit extra time. All right, last thing I want to talk about with the tenants before the show is up deals with when you are a tenant and you are paying your rent and your landlord is not paying his mortgage and the house is going into foreclosure. Now, this happens quite often. Unfortunately, you're, you're a good tenant. You're doing everything you're supposed to do, but your landlord is not. And your landlord is letting the house go into foreclosure and you're getting notices at the residence that the house is going to be foreclosed. What should you do? Uh, well, under the Obama administration, uh, tenants have some protections in this situation where they will be allowed to live in the property for uh, a period of time, usually about 90 days, without having to pay rent. And that's consolation for you to be able to find a place to live and be able to pay the expenses of moving because the property is foreclosing. Now, if, you are, if your landlord is not paying the mortgage and the house is going into foreclosure, you will no longer be responsible for paying your landlord their rent once the house does foreclose. So uh, if you are not paying your, if, if you get the notice and you stop paying your landlord, he can still sue you for damages. So you don't want to stop paying your rent until the foreclosure actually happens. But once that happens, you are off the hook with paying your landlord. All right, that's our show. My name's Tim Anderson, 800-1000. Uh, we do have these tied... Uh, tickets to give away. I'll, I'll take those with me. If you want them, you can text me today at 757-800-1000. I'll uh, get them to you. I have a few sets. Uh, my name's Tim Anderson, virginialawoffice.com. This is uh, the April 27th, 2019 show. If you're listening to it on Facebook or on podcast, some things could have changed, so please keep that in mind. Uh, my advice is no substitution for uh, speaking to an attorney directly, and if you'd like to speak to me about it, feel free to give us a call at 800-1000. Take care, Facebook. All right, man. Appreciate it as always, Attorney Anderson. A lot of good information. And we thank you for listening to the Anderson Law Power Hour here on Power 1310. The views expressed in this broadcast are solely those of the participants of the show and do not express the views 
held by Max Media or its affiliates. Now, this show is, as you learned, hosted by Attorney Tim Anderson. Results in any legal case are never guaranteed, and previous results are no indication of future results. Now, also by participating in this show, you realize it's for informational purposes only. As Attorney Anderson said, there's no attorney-client relationship or privilege to any caller or anyone on social media. Now, by calling, you acknowledge that your voice or your question may be used as part of the broadcast. Also, make sure you realize that Attorney Anderson is available here in the Hampton Roads area, and this show is not a replacement to consulting with an attorney directly about your situation. Anderson Law is a law firm located at 2492 North Landing Road, Suite 104 in Virginia Beach, with satellite offices in Chesapeake, Hampton, Elizabeth City, and remote offices in Richmond and Vienna. Make sure you call. Still have an opportunity to pick up those Norfolk Tides tickets. 800-1000-TEXT. 800-1000. We'll catch you next Saturday morning as the broadcast is on every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. here on Power 1310. We'll see you next Saturday. Have a good week. If you treat people right, they will treat you right 90% of the time. Those words spoken by President Roosevelt are core values of my law firm. My name is Tim Anderson, and I'm an attorney in Hampton Roads and Eastern North Carolina. My primary practice areas are bankruptcy, criminal defense, and Second Amendment firearm restoration. For almost two decades, I have built relationships with clients, lawyers, and the community. Those relationships have helped many of my clients find successful resolution of their cases in and outside of the courtroom. When you hire my firm, my entire team will be on your side with strength and empathy. We will zealously work to obtain the best results possible with integrity, fighting when we have to, and finding resolution when we can. What do you think, James? Honesty is the best policy. What do you think, Alex? The time is always right to do what is right. Those are wise quotes, boys. I'm proud of both of you. Okay, James, you know what to do. 800-1000, call it this is WGHAM Newport News, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, 1310, The Power.